chapter, Joshua began speaking to the Israelites because he knew his time was coming to a close. And, uh, you know, he begins, uh, he ended that chapter saying, I am going the way of everything on earth, right? And like we know, all created things have uh, a, a birthday and an expiration day, okay? So um, God is, and I, I explained that, God is the only uncreated one. He is uncreated. That baffles our minds because all we know are created things, right? It's what we see. Everything has a day it was created. I mean, if you flipped over one of these chairs, uh, you may find a little tag on there telling you the manufacturing day, right? Uh, we are used to seeing tags uh, of expiration, right? When we go to the shops and you're looking for milk or bread or anything like that, you look for the expiration date. And if you are savvy, you dig towards the back where they got you know, further expiration date so that it lasts inside your cupboard 15 more minutes um, or whatever it is. So I know I've seen, I've seen people, you know, digging through the milks and getting to the back, you know, or whatever uh, product you're buying. So we understand created things, right? But God is uncreated, right? We, we've established that. And I was talking about, um, I think it was last week, where I was saying that uh, God was the first cause, right? This was uh, one of the arguments of God's existence was that everything had to start somewhere, right? Because back in the day, back when this argument began, people believed, educated people believed that it was just always running for eternity. But it was a Christian that came and said, no, guys, that's ridiculous. Everything had to start somewhere. Everything has a starting date. So that means that there had to be someone that could start everything. So that was part of his argument towards God being the uncreated one, the first cause. You know, I'm just putting it in a really simple way, right? So then we come to Joshua, and Joshua explains something, and, and he said something, and I kind of glossed over it last week. I just read it and left it alone, right? But this week, we're going we're gonna to look at it, and we're going to unpack it just a little bit, all right? So if you remember, Joshua summons everybody, and he tells them all to come to Shechem, which I told you was a very important place. This was where God made his promise to Abraham. So they're standing there hundreds of years later, seeing the fulfillment of God's promise in the place that God told their forefather that it would happen. And God, like I told you before, God, he tells you the truth, right? Like in scripture, if you read scripture and you truly read it and look at it and, and allow it to be living and active and speak to you, sometimes it speaks really hard truths to you, really difficult ones. Like when scripture tells me that I'm a liar. We don't like to admit that. I once watched a young man. I, was, I watched him try to explain to a lady, and she said, he goes, uh, he's trying to explain the gospel using a method called way, the way of the master, 
right? And he says to her, he goes, have you ever told a lie? And she goes, no. And I'm standing there. I'm just observing. I'm like, all right, handle that one, <laughs> right? And he goes, so you've never told an untruth? And she goes, yes, I have. And he goes, okay, so that's called the lie. And she goes, no. Uh, all right. Um, he goes, what, why would you class an untruth, not a lie? He goes, because I did it for good reasons. What? <laughs> like, well, if you ask me, I've done everything for a good reason, right? <laughs> if you ask a murderer why they murdered, to them it was a good reason, right? So our reasoning and what we class as a good reason doesn't class things in God's eyes as something good or evil. He's the one that gives the true classification of things. And if you do not tell the truth, that is called a lie. She wouldn't admit it, right? So what I'm trying to say is sometimes we're faced with hard truths and it either, when I'm reading scripture, either I admit it and say, okay, you got me. I'm a liar, right? And then Jesus comes and he helps me with that problem. I have to be able to say, hey, you know what? I, I've told you guys this before. When I was younger, I was about 18 years old, and my little brother told me a hard truth about myself. It was a heated moment, and, uh, and I was already in charge of a ministry that all my brothers were in with me, and I was, I was in charge, right? And I was doing the best I could to get us where we needed to be, right? But my little brother told me, David, the, like the little brother right under me, right? And, and I, I've said this before. I remember telling you guys. He said, David, you are a dictator. You do not care about other people's feelings. Right? And then, and then he told me, you don't even encourage You know what, you know, I humbly took, no. I didn't humbly take that. I'm like, who are you talking to your older brother like that? You know, we got upset, we parted ways, and then I went to go spend time with the Lord, right? And then the Holy Spirit started speaking to my heart. And he said, why are you angry at your brother when he tells you the truth? <laughs> I had to go apologize to that brother. And then I had to take that truth that was spoken to me, and I had to begin to change. You know, the one thing I don't hear these days is that I'm a dictator, right? Because so many years ago, I made a choice. And I said, I don't know how to be different. Jesus, show me. Show me how to be different. Show me how to try to be an encourager. And guess what? I'm still on that road, still trying to figure it out. Still trying to tell people, you're doing a good job. Because I thought I was serving everybody by getting us to our goal. But I forgot that there was a process to it all. I, I'm a goal-oriented person. You can ask my wife. I start doing something, everything else fades away. It's all gone. 
And I've told you before, when I was handed, when Claire was going back to work and she said, can you watch the baby? I just thought, oh dear Lord, this baby's gonna die in my hands. Do you know why? Because I would forget about the baby, right? What have you been doing all day, Dave? Woodworking. Did you feed the baby? What baby, right? That's, this never happened, but I knew that's who I am. I had to be honest with myself, right? I had to be brutally honest with myself. So I started taking measures and I started praying, Lord, help me to remember to feed the baby at the right times. Because I don't know about you guys, but my firstborn, man, she was like clockwork. If I was five minutes late with that food, she's like, Wah! and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> And then you still have to heat the food to the right temperature, and you got to do everything, and the baby's crying. And I'm the, like the type of person, you start yelling and crying, man, all of a sudden the adrenaline starts pumping, and you're like, oh no, you know? You spill everything on the counter, you have to start again. And the Lord helped me. And then people would laugh at me because I'd have alarms going off on my phone all day. And they're like, what's that alarm for? That alarm is for me to poke my head up and realize that I'm living a day <laughs> and that I cannot just do my work. I need to look around and say, ah, it's five o'clock. I should probably finish. You know, when we first moved down here to church, there are no windows. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's no windows. I can't tell day or night. Claire would sometimes ring me and say, where are you? I'd be down here working. And then she'd be like, uh, are you going to come home? And I'd look at the time, and it's like half seven. I got down here at nine in the morning, <laughs> and I was just here all day just doing stuff. But there was no sunlight to tell me, your day is ending. <laughs> so, you know, there are good things. It's a good thing to remember about our time. You know, like Joshua was reminding them, hey, guys, we're not infinite. My day is coming to a close. My actual life is coming to a close. So I want to remind you of what we're doing this for, who we live for. So we get to this certain portion, and um, Joshua is recounting their history for them, OK? Like, like um, He's going through it quickly, but he, he's counting in all the major points, all right? He's not, he's not uh, sitting there saying, all right, guys, well, I'm going to recount your life for you, so everybody buckle up for 10 years because I'm just going to recount the, the last 400 years for everybody. No, he's kind of hitting the major points for them. So then he tells them about their forefather Abraham and the promise that God made to them at that place in Shechem, right? And then he moves on to Abraham's child, right? Which was East, um, yeah, Isaac. Then he moves from Isaac and he says to Isaac, and he's talking like prophecy, like he's, he's speaking God's words. So God is speaking through him. So he's saying, to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Okay, guys, there's portions of scripture, even in the New Testament, that tells us that God chose Jacob, 
and he rejected Esau. Those are harsh, right? You read that, and you're like, God rejected somebody? But I'm going to explain something to you. We're going to pick pieces of Scripture apart. Okay, so God chose Jacob, but he rejected, or old Scriptures say he hated Esau. It doesn't seem like he hated him here, right? It says, to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir. In other words, to Esau, I gave him land and a home. And to Jacob, I put him in bondage. Wait, I thought it was Jacob that you loved and Esau that you hated. What's going on? So we start to see the mind of the Lord. We start to see that he is not a quick fix type of guy. He's a long-term fix guy. Have you ever seen like when people, um, let's say, oh, I'm hard up on money, right? So then they sell everything they have. Now they have money, but then they don't have anything else, right? That's, that's, I would call that a quick fix. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions. I'm not knocking people's decisions. I'm just saying, sometimes when you look at things, you could see there is a long, hard road that will solve your problem, or there's a quick fix that will solve the immediate problem, but give you 24 more problems past it. And a lot of us choose the quick fix. We see it happen in our society all the time. You know, we see it happen in government, too. The government does quick fixes. But nobody, even the people, aren't willing to do the long-term fix. They're like, oh, look at this problem happening here. Uh, there's, there's lots of children without parents running in the streets. Oh, what we'll do is we'll just give them money so they're not in the streets anymore. So now they're in the streets and they own Ferraris <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Right? I'm just being a bit silly with it. But do you see how that didn't, wouldn't fix a problem? But what would fix a problem is seeing why there are children in the streets without parents, or why there are lots of one-parent homes, or why these. And I'm not knocking any of that, because half my life I came from a one-parent home. So I'm not saying, oh, these are dirty people or whatever. What I'm saying is, in life, God gives us wisdom, and he tells us how to fix problems. And sometimes the way to fix those problems is a long-term fix that we don't like. So he says, hey, so to Esau, which we read in Romans 9.13, we, we read what God said about Esau and Jacob. It says it right here. In the words of the scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Okay. Seems pretty plain to me. But can I tell you that the Lord explains later on in scripture, or, or before this in scripture, why he rejected Esau? Because Esau rejected the Lord. Okay? There are lots of scriptures that say, Draw close to the Lord, and he will draw close to you, right? He wants to see what's in our hearts. 
He wants to see if I am truly drawing close to him because I want to know him and love him even in the small knowledge that I have of him, right? He, he says in the New Testament, to those who have, more will be given, but to those who don't have, even what they do have will be taken from them. And that may sound really cryptic, but really what that scripture is saying is Jesus is saying this, those that want more of me, I will give abundantly. But those that don't want me, I'll even take away any little bit of knowledge that they have of me, right? Those that, no, I'm okay. And he was talking to the crowds as he was giving parables. And when he would give a parable, people would come to him later on, a select few, and say, what did you mean by that parable? But really, the masses would hear the parable, be confused, and walk away, not seeking more. Are we like that with the Lord? When the Lord does something in our lives, and we're just like, I don't understand. Do we just walk away? Or do we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you help me? Help me to understand what's going on. Help me. That's how Esau was. Do you remember? Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. I've never been that hungry. <laughs> I do not care. You know, if they're like, oh, yo, Dave, uh, uh, you're really hungry. I'll give you a bowl of soup. Let me get your house. What you talking about? <laughs> that, that, there better be 24 karat gold in that soup if I'm going to give you something that's worth way more than a bowl of soup. But that's what he thought of the Lord. He said, you know what? What's, what use is my birthright? And he says that. What use is my birthright to me if I'm going to die? Really? You're going to die, bro? You're going to die? Go get a piece of bread. All right? Stop trading spiritual things that the Lord has for you for physical, you know, his belly ruled his life. His appetites ruled his life. And that's how it is. In the New Testament, we find out that people's appetites rule their lives. Whether it is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. The appetites that will rule your life unless you have Jesus Christ that helps you to strike it down and say, I don't need it. What you have for me, Lord, is of greater worth than what I can get for myself. I don't need it. Right? So he says, uh, for Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So we've established that even though Esau rejected the Lord, the Lord was good to him, but the Lord didn't take him under his wing for teaching and discipline, right? I don't know if you guys have ever uh, done anything as a discipline, uh, whether it's like, let's say, like a martial arts or, I've never done a martial arts. I, I've done sports, right? Like, I've played sport, right? So I've, uh, I've done American football, you know, where we just like hit each other real hard in equipment and see if we could give each other brain damage or, you know, things like that. No, nah, I'm only kidding. But, you know, I've played American football, I've played basketball, and I used to run uh, what I would call track and field, right? And in any of those disciplines, guess what happens? Pain. 
pain. Like the old saying, no pain, no gain, right? People say that all the time when they're working out. No pain, no gain, right? If you've ever done disciplines, I mean, if you've ever watched the movies or you know somebody who has done martial arts, there is pain in the process of discipline. Now, it might not always be physical pain. Sometimes it's getting over a mental hurdle or, or trying to uh, do a feat that you need to get good at to continue to progress in levels, right? So we understand this. Even when you work hard in business or whatever, there's pain. Sometimes you have to work longer hours to try to get deals done. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions. There's pain for gain, right? And it works the same way with the Lord. When the Lord's like, you are my child, I will now teach you, for I am your master. There's pain. There's going to be pain. He says, so, so Esau I rejected, but Jacob I loved. So I sent Jacob to Egypt. And when Jacob went to Egypt, before that time, he also had a hard time. He was moving around all the time because the inhabitants didn't like him. And then what brings the culmination of him moving to Egypt is his one son gets sent to Egypt by the rest of his brothers, not as a spy, but as a piece of rubbish that they sold off for cheap pieces of silver. And he comes because there's famine all over. So they're hungry, and they come. And while Joseph, Joseph is alive, life is good. But then Joseph dies, and then we're told that the next pharaoh did not know Joseph. That the next pharaoh that came, that had power, didn't know Joseph or anything Joseph had done for Egypt. And he saw those people living in the land that the Lord had blessed. And he said, these people are becoming more than us, greater than us. We will put them in bondage. And they were in bondage for 400 years. The Lord loved Jacob. He loved Jacob. And Jacob went into bondage. And we also saw that of the 12, Joseph loved the Lord. Out of all his other brothers, he loved the Lord. Who got sold off into slavery? Joseph. Who was wrongfully accused and thrown into prison? Joseph. And the, the Psalms tell us that as Joseph was in prison, God was doing something to the inner man of Joseph. He was solidifying who Joseph was in the identity before the Lord. That's what the Lord was doing. Because some translations put it that Joseph was put in prison and the Lord was making his soul into iron. He was refining him. Have you followed the Lord? And have you had hard times as you follow the Lord? 
If you asked me that question, I'd be the first person to put my, my hand up. I remember with my brothers, I had always loved the Lord, but there came a point where I said, Jesus is all I have. That is all I'm going for, 100%. Did you know the next five years were some of the hardest years of my life? When we said, it's all go, guys, we're in, my father left for the second time. We lost our house two years later because of a, a, a court battle that was going on between my father, uh, mortgage companies, and us who were living in the house paying the mortgage. I had just met my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and she saw how poor I could be. She knew I didn't have a dollar or a pound to my name because everything was taken away. She knew I owned two bags of clothes, and one of those bags was a really cool Ferrari bag that I still love. <laughs> And it was a strange time, because I was friends, and, and, and uh, I had a family member who had money. He was wealthy. He had Ferraris and Lamborghinis and everything, right? And I remember that sometimes I would do a favor for him, and I would drive his Lamborghini Diablo or his Lamborghini Murcielago. You can look them up. They're really nice or uh, his Ferrari 360 Spider. I would be driving this car, people would be hurling insult, insults at me at this time, saying, you dumb rich kid. <laughs> they had more money than me. <laughs> I was driving someone else's car to the mechanic. <laughs> and I'm getting yelled at. And, and you know, judging a book by its cover, right? You know, this kid jumps out of a Ferrari, I'm wearing a white t-shirt and jeans, and I'm broke. Like, I mean, super broke, so broke the bank is calling me because there's a little negative sign on the numbers, you know, if you get what I mean. And I'm broke, and I'm working as hard as I can with all my brothers trying to make money, and nobody's paying. That's why I know today, God is provider. Not any of you guys, not me. Jehovah Jireh is provider. I am little provider. I have to be faithful while the big one is faithful, while God overall is faithful. I have worked my guts out and not seen anything of it. And then I've, I've had other times where I barely do anything and the Lord opens up the gates and blesses. And I'm like, May the name of the Lord be praised, right? Just like Job, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised, right? So he sends Jacob to training camp, to affliction, to refinement while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt, into their bondage. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. So he sent two guys, two guys that were half willing. Guys, if you're half willing today, the Lord can, the Lord can use you. 
Now, why would I say that? Because Moses, sometimes I identify with Moses, man. I read his story, and the Lord's like, I want to use you. And I'm like, use anybody but me. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm all right. My life is good. Leave me alone, please. With all due respect, God, leave me alone. <laughs> not, not these days, but I remember when he was calling me, and I'm like, oh, man, bro, like, you just keep asking me to do the little jobs, man. Right? And he sends Moses and Aaron, who weren't willing at first, and then the Lord said, I'll be with you. I'll go with you. And he reminds the Israelites, he reminds Jacob's descendants, the sons and daughters of Jacob, who he is. And he says, I'm here. Your training is done. I want to rem remind you that I love you. Now, the Lord loved them the whole time that they were in Egypt. His love was there. He loved them. Just because there's affliction in your life doesn't mean you're not loved. Just means training is in session. Training is in session. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought terrible plagues on Egypt. So the Lord's like, I came to tell Israel that I loved them, and then I moved on their behalf, and I showed them why I am God over all. Right? And I would hope that 400 years would have made them like, like 10 or 20 years made Joseph in prison. Somebody who was committed to who he was before the Lord. Right? I see lots of people make promises before the Lord. They say, hey, God, if you change my circumstances now, I'm going to walk with you all the days of my life. And then I see the circumstances change, and the person changes. And I think to myself, oh, you didn't hold on to what the Lord was making in you. You didn't see yourself, your identity in Christ. That's what happens. They see their identity in the circumstances that they're in. But you have to come out of that. And you have to say, Lord, it says in your word that you love me. And you want to use me. So let her rip. Do your thing. It says in your word that you guide the steps of a righteous person. So guide my steps. Order my steps for me. There came a time when I said that to the Lord, and I have not changed from that time. Now, I'm not telling you this because I've achieved something. I'm telling you this because I'm saying I know the path that I'm taking. I have not yet attained, but I know the direction I'm pointing. So then we see that... Um, even Job knew this. He knew this secret of the Lord. That when the Lord allows things in your life, he's testing you and he's refining you. So Job says this, uh, Job 23, verses 8 through 10. But I'll start, um, I'll start at 8. 
So he says, I go east, but he is not there. This is Job looking for the Lord, wanting an audience with the Lord to understand what's going on in my life. You know, I've been righteous. I've done everything you've told me to do. Right? But we find by the end of Job, God is beginning to change Job on the inside. Because Job says to the Lord, he says, I spoke without wisdom. And then he says, for my ears had heard of you, but my eyes had not seen you, so I repent in dust and ashes. When he truly sees the Lord and speaks to him, he realizes that all of his righteousness is rubbish. It's nothing before the Lord. All the good deeds that he had done mean nothing in the light of the perfect one. So he says, so I go east, but he's not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. And then he makes this declaration. He says, but he knows where I am going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. As if Job was put into a furnace for refinement. And he goes, and he knows my testing. And when he pulls me out, I'm going to be pure gold. Because I know the refiner. I know the one who's with me in this testing. We see the same thing in the New Testament with Jesus. We see glorious things happening. When Jesus begins his ministry, what happens? He goes to John and he says, John, baptize me. And John says, oh, bro, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. And he says, John, you need to baptize me so that all things are fulfilled. So then John knows that he is the Messiah. And John says, for I saw the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then they heard God the Father's voice say, this is my son who I am well pleased with. All right? So all of a sudden, glory, glory. And then what's the first thing that happens? What's the first thing that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to do? Great and wondrous miracles, right? No, he took him to the amphitheater, and he, he, he preached to thousands. Now, we don't read that. What we read is that the Holy Spirit led him alone into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. By Beelzebub himself. <laughs> it's an old name. <laughs> by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. It says he ate nothing. How many of you guys have ever fasted? Longest I've ever done a fast is a week. And I'll tell you what happens after that week. You feel weak, very weak and hungry. And when and, and Juan said this to me, he says, you know, it's like you smell the aromas and it's almost like you're eating it. <laughs> the aromas of food and you, 
you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, that f oh I love that. Love cake, you know, <laughs> whatever. <clears throat> now imagine that after a month. And then somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, I got some nice cake for you. All you have to do is just drop to your knees and I'll give it to you. I'll give you bread. You know, fresh, baked bread. Sounds good, right? And we're not even fasting. <laughs> and Jesus not only showed the devil, God the Father, and the whole world who he was on the inside, right? He quoted scripture because the devil was misconstruing scripture, twisting it, and then Jesus would point to scripture and say, no. And what did he come to tempt with? With the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Still up to his same old tricks. And Jesus said, no, right? So what we're saying is that God led his own son, who is also God, to the wilderness to be tempted. So even if, if God himself had to go through it, how much more do we need to go through it? Jesus already knew who he was. I'm pretty sure he did it for us and to show the enemy who he was, that he would not be broken. But then we see, you know, um, Job te tells us that there's, there's a testing to solidify us in our identity, which is found in the Lord. There's a testing. And he shows us through the Old Testament, and he shows us through the New Testament that there's a testing, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. I will come out refined in my identity in the Lord. So when the devil comes to lie to me and say, hey, I got some shortcuts for you, what he really means is he wants to cut your life short. That's what he really means. It's only a shortcut to death. we're able to say no and resist. It says, what's the New Testament tell us? Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Right? I don't want anything to do with that. You can even resist it in the way that Joseph resisted when Potiphar's wife came to him. What did he say? I'll catch you later. I'm out of here, right? He just left. He ran so fast she still had garments on him, you know? She was like, come, and he ripped out his shirt and ran. <laughs> and then she used that to say, oh, look, he was trying to lay with him. Imagine that court. He probably didn't even get uh, a trial, <laughs> but imagine him in trial. Like, nah, 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 lady. <laughs> you tried to grab me. I ripped out my shirt and I ran. I want nothing to do with that. 
He knew what the truth was. You see, uh, like I said, Esau didn't care about the bondage that he had to sin. Esau didn't care. He's going to stay in it. You know, he's going to disobey the Lord. He's going to do whatever he wants. And the Lord was still good to him. And the Lord said, I'll give him a home, but I know he's not my child. So I'm not going to train him up. Because it's like trying to train up a mule. He doesn't want it. So I'll leave him alone. And then Jacob, he trained up. Jacob wanted to be free. He wanted to be free. The Lord used the affliction in Egypt to solidify who he was in the hearts and minds of the Israelites. It helped them to have full resolve, or what he was trying to do was helping them to have full resolve in uh, what they wanted to follow, which was God. But then we see, as he recounts, uh, we see there's a certain point, because we know the history, that they didn't have full resolve, right? There were only two of them that had fully resolved that they were going to follow the Lord no matter where he was taking them. And their names were uh, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that had full resolve. Hey, listen, in this room, there may be a few of us, right? Statistically speaking, only some of us are hearing what is being said. I mean, I'm not saying that you're not hearing. I'm saying that you're, you're not taking it in by statistics. But I know that this room trumps the, t the statistics. That's what I know. I know that, right? I know that you guys are listening to the Lord hearing what he says and applying it to your lives because I see your lives changing and then I see we have conversations about what we, what we learn together through God's word, what we learn together because I am also learning as I go. I am also clinging to the Lord as we go. I have not yet attained to anything except for the path that I said I was going to follow, and I'm following Jesus. They weren't self-disciplined enough to follow through. Have any of you guys ever suffered of not being self-disciplined in an area in your life? I know I have. I know I have, 100%. I have suffered, and in that suffering, I've made others suffer with me. Right? Because there's a certain area in my life or certain areas in my life where I have not practiced self-discipline. That can change. You know why? Because Joshua said it. Moses said it. The Lord says it. Moses put it this way. Joshua will put it this way. Today I place before you life and death. You choose. Right? I remember in my home when I was little, there used to be this plaque, that, and it comes from these chapters. And Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I remember it. Sat there on the wall all the time. Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Life is a choice. Following the Lord is a choice. I even have a choice when hard times stare me in the face. And they come and they say, I've come here to torment you. And I can say back, I've made my choice. You're not going to shift me. Right? If there's anything that Joshua has taught me is this, that any outside thing coming, any enemy, any circumstance, any bad time coming to push me to make quick decisions cannot win. Because I have to be resolved that I will stare in the face of the Lord and say, you tell me, Lord, where to go. I am not going to let these things push me to make decisions that are not right before you or are hasty before you. You talk to me, Lord. You tell me. How many times did Joshua have an enemy saying, we're going to kill you, or enemies that were bigger than them, and Joshua would go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me the way. Help me. Help me. I think of that scripture that, that encourages me, and it's about King David, and we, we've talked about this before. He comes to, back to Ziklag after going out on a war campaign, and he gets sent back home. He comes to this place, Ziklag, which is their little village town where he and all of his mighty men live. Guys, these guys were not um, guys to be... Um, you know, to think less of, not to be well, trifled with, right? These were warriors. They were hunters. They were monsters on the battlefield. And that's why David got sent back home. Because all of the, the Philistine kings knew that David had been running from Saul and he was working with, you know, the Canaanites, trying to stay safe from Saul. And, and all of the kings said, hold up, you're going to bring David to come and fight? Isn't David the one that they sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands, and you're going to have him right here with us? No, we don't feel like dying today. Send him back home. So they send him home. And he goes back home, and he goes back with these warriors, these guys that even when they were old, they told his son Absalom when he was trying to overthrow the kingdom, they say to Absalom, Absalom, do not chase your father or his warriors because when they're on the battlefield, they're like a mother bear. They will maul you to death. And it's David's warriors who have chapters dedicated to them talking about their great exploits in battle. I mean, we're talking about these guys. The guys, he's got one guy who like was bored on one day, so he jumped into a pit with a tiger to, to wrestle it, and he killed it. I, what's his name? I want him to be my friend, <laughs> tiger wrestling guy. There's this other guy that like, he met this Egyptian that was like, I don't know, nine feet tall, so, so he fought him, and he beat him. Killed him. 
right? There was this other guy where he goes out to the battlefield and it says he went up onto a hill. All of his men got scared and ran away. So that day he killed hundreds of men on his own. It said he was on the battlefield and he fought so hard that his hand was cramped to the sword. He won, right? So they, we're talking these guys. So they come to Ziklag and somebody has raided their town, kidnapped their children and their wives, and taken everything. And all of these men turn to David and they say, this is your fault, we're gonna stone you to death. Talk about circumstances coming and staring you in the face. And then the next sentence reads, so David sought the Lord and was strengthened by his God. And then David turns to the Lord and he says to the priest, let's inquire of the Lord what we should do, right? He, he isn't being shaken. And all of these guys said, let's stone David to death. I don't know if you know what stoning is, but stoning is this. They continue to throw stones at you until you die and they cover your body with stones. And they're not just like giving the, the old, here's a stone. Like we're talking, they're hitting them overarm with stones until they drop dead and are covered in stones and that would be their grave. Just a pile of stones on top of them. That's what they're talking about giving to David. These guys are able to do that. David does not flinch and he goes and seeks the Lord. Guys, if you have circumstances in your lives, if things have presented themselves, I mean, whatever it is, I, I don't know your individual lives, but if there are circumstances that have presented themselves, family members, enemies that have presented themselves to say, I am here to oppose you, right? And you know you're walking the way that you should be walking, Seek the Lord. Don't make hasty decisions. Don't let things press you into making quick decisions. Guys, I've been there. I've made quick decisions. I've made hasty decisions. Joshua is teaching me because the word is living and active. He's teaching me to go to the Lord to make decisions, to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Not like, what do you want me to do? But what do you want me to do? You say the words, and I will do it. And wait before him. And trust him. Be at peace. Trust him. Let the Lord's peace fill your hearts. Have you ever had peace in the middle of a storm. I remember Claire telling me one time when the Lord filled her with peace in the middle of something that she knew it was not humanly possible to have peace at that time. And the Lord gave her peace. And, and you, you should have seen her face. It was, you know, she was, she was like, I, had, I have peace. And she told me that and I believed her by just the look on her face and, and her, you know, her body um, and everything. I was just like, she has peace from the Lord. What's the, what's the Lord say? Peace I give, I give to you. Peace I, I leave with you, right? Not like this world gives. 
but a peace that transcends all understanding. You don't even know why you have peace. You just trust the Lord and you're good, right? I crave that. And you know how you get that? Trust the Lord. Trust him, right? In your affliction, in your furnace, trust him. I can keep going and going about this. Isaiah 43, verse 2, one of my favorite verses. I have like 10,000 favorite verses, so. And I'll end it with this. Isaiah 43, verse 2. It says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. So here's a quick lesson about that. He doesn't say there that he will take you up out of it so that you don't feel any pain, so that you don't go through the problem, so that there is no affliction. He doesn't scoop you up out of the, the furnace. He says, no, 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 no. When you go through the furnace, I'll be sitting right next to you. When you go through the pain of floodwaters being opened up, I will be with you. I will hold your hand and walk through the furnace and the flood with you. Guys, we see the Lord do this with Joseph. And I go back to Joseph because the scripture tells us, and Joseph went to prison and God went with him. You know what's cool about the Lord? He doesn't just say, hey, you go do this, or I have this in store for you, and you go do it, and then come back to me when it's all done. He goes with us. He says, we're going to go through a hard time right now. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. How awesome is that? That we don't walk alone. He walks with us all the time. Even when we mess up, I can just turn and say, Lord, I'm sorry. He is not far off. He's right there. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, strengthen us as you train us, as you refine us. And Lord, when we come out, that we would have full resolve of who we are in light of you and that we would follow the path that you've given us. Lord, it says in your word to be in the light as you are in the light, to walk on that path, holding your hand in the light. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.